us, and I'm not going. I'm going with him. Is anybody else going with him when he comes back? I'm, I'm going with him. So the rapture hadn't happened yet, even though the children are gone. Uh, just a couple of things to share with you. Uh, as Elder Tyler said, game night was exceptional. We had a great time playing all kinds of games, seeing what the student ministry does. They not only learn the word, but they have a good time playing all these kind of goofy games. And it was great to see adults participate and parents participate so that we could look goofy with our kids. It brings us closer together in the spirit of goofiness. So it was a good night for that. Uh, money was raised through hot dog sales and raffles uh, to help with the food pantry that is being built and developed. Also, we have a clothing, clothing closet that is being developed right now. A lot of great things. I was able to visit J.T. Moore Middle School. Um, had an outstanding time there as well, making headway into this community that we may serve it well. And then uh, coming up this coming Wednesday night is for the men, Kingdom Agenda video number four. So we will be in the fellowship hall. Uh, come on out ready to get into our small groups, get into the word together, and keep on growing as kingdom men. And then uh, next Sunday, right hand of fellowship, we're going to welcome in several new families to the body of Strong Tower. Um, as Elder Tyler said, pray for the elders uh, this Thursday as we have our monthly meeting. Uh, one of the things we will have to discuss is finances. Uh, because I don't know if you've noticed, but with the transition here, there have been many families who have felt called away from Strong Tower. They didn't feel the call to remain. And so as a result, we've lost several giving units. And so that puts a hit on the budget. And then for most churches, when they go into the summer, um, that's also a lean time. So as the elders, we're trying to look at, okay, Lord, give us the wisdom that you gave Joseph when he was in Egypt on how to use the silos that have the resources that have been saved. Show us, Lord, what we need to cut back on. So uh, just pray for us. It's going to be a great meeting, great time. There's no panic in any of us. I need to let you know that. Because this is the Lord's church. He's the head of it. He's the foundation of it. He's always provided. But I thought that it would be proper to let you know because we are a family. And so, uh, so God is up to something good. He's up to something great. He's up to a new thing. And so even as families are departing, families are coming in. And so he, he, he always does that in the church. But I did want to let you know about that. Uh, the Israel team also left yesterday with Sister Christie, and I believe it was, uh, she has a team of about 20 people going over to Israel, and uh, your baby is in that team, and other folks from the church are there, and churches from Arkansas, and all over the place are participating in this group, so as far as I know, they got to Israel safely, amen, I haven't heard anything, so no news is good news, but mama knows, so they are there, and, uh, and then also, uh, yesterday, uh, I've got some news. You may not think that is good news, but it is good news. It, it is the epitome of what we just sang and worshiped about, and that is better is one day in the house of God than a thousand elsewhere. Um, our dear brother Frank Cyrus went home to be with Jesus yesterday just before noon. And so uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so Cynthia is being sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit. The joy of the Lord is truly her strength. And so Pastor Daryl and I were able and Darina to just spend some time with her yesterday and uh, to pray with her and to walk with her through this valley. 
that Jesus already defeated through his resurrection. And so uh, probably next Saturday, we're not sure yet, but probably next Saturday, we'll have the home going here in our sanctuary. Uh, they're going to have friends and family come in from uh, Tuskegee. And so uh, it's going to be a great time. So we want to remember them in our prayers, she and their daughter Morgan. They do not need food. I know many of you like to be hospitable and come by with food. But that's one thing she continues to stress, that we don't need that. I think really they just need our prayers and, uh, and our uh, ministry of presence. So if you do go by her house, just go by and, and sit with her. And, and, and here's one of the things I love about Cynthia. And anyone that's growing in the Lord, this is evident of you. The Bible says that uh, Christ, in comparing him to Adam, that he was a life-giving spirit. When you're in the presence of someone who is following after Christ as opposed to following after Adam, you're going to walk away from them having received life. They are life givers, even in moments where it's tough. But when we are more in Adam than we are in Christ, you walk away from some people being drained. It's like they just sap all the life out of you. But when someone is allowing Christ to work in and through them, even in the moments of death and despair, but really it's victory for the Christian. You leave their presence better than how you came in to encourage them. Does anybody understand that? Anybody ever been there before? That when you go to encourage somebody because of Christ in them, the comforter, he comforts you because of the comfort that they're receiving. And it's just a beautiful thing to be in the body of Christ. So, uh, yes, yes, we're going to have a good time next week celebrating the life of Frank Cyrus, who was on our security team, a faithful servant here at Strong Tower. And he weathered. Um, that battle with cancer with great courage, great courage. Um, I never saw fear in him, never saw fear in him. And as his outward man wasted away, it was great to know his inward man kept being renewed every single day. And again, we would go spend time with him and we would leave out better because he would talk about all kinds of things. He wouldn't be just, oh, woe is me. Oh, woe is me. We, we talk about all kinds of things. And uh, what a blessing he is. I don't speak about him in the past tense. He is more present now than he's ever been because he's in the presence of Jesus and uh, waiting on us to get there. But until we get there, we got work to do. We've got work to do before Jesus comes or before we go to him. And so today I want to continue in our series that we've been doing called Verses. Not verses like verses in the Bible, but verses in terms of opposites attacking. Um, verses in terms of battles going on. We've been having a good time in this. And so today I thought I would keep the fun going on. So if you could put the first slide up, we'll begin. You guys ready? Here you see a man by the name of Greg Horn. He's 35 years old. He comes from the city of Dayton, Ohio. Last year, he was charged with child endangerment and corporal punishment. Why? Because he beat his two daughters, 14 and 12 years old, with a video cable for sneaking out of home and allegedly twerking on Facebook. And someone filmed him beating his two daughters with this video cable. And the girls came out of that uh, beating with major welts and open wounds on their legs and even on their arms trying to stop their father. It's a pretty horrific scene. I watched it a couple of times on Facebook. So we have here a case of child abuse. 
Next slide. Now we have a case of child neglect. This is Ethan Couch. Also last year, he committed a crime at the time, 16 years old. He killed four people while driving under the influence of alcohol and other drugs. Um, there were people on the side of the road who stopped to help a family whose car had broken down, and one of them happened to be a youth pastor. And as they were attending to this family, Ethan, who drove up in his Ford F-350 at the age of 16 under the influence of alcohol, had seven other people in the car with him, seven other teenagers. He ran over the families on the side of the road, killing four of them, and one of his passengers ended up suffering uh, paralysis from the neck down and can only communicate by blinking his eyes. And so when the case went to court last year, you may have heard about this. Um, his defense called in an expert who brought to the table this thing called affluenza, which had never been heard of, and apparently it's not a medical diagnosis. But nevertheless, his defense brought in a specialist to say that since his parents coddled him, coddled Ethan all of his life, grew up in wealth, he ended up developing a sense of irresponsibility. Therefore, he did not know right from wrong. And so affluenza for affluent kids, um, they get a pass, so to speak, because their parents neglect spending time with them. And because they are situated in the lap of luxury, they are thus not taught to know right from wrong. Well, that defense ended up working because rather than being given 20 years in prison for killing these four people and paralyzing another, he was given 10 years probation. And so you see here a case of child neglect. These are two extremes. And I know today I can be treading on thin ice, because when you talk about child discipline and how to rear children, I'm not here to get in anyone's business per se. That's not my job. But as a shepherd, as a pastor, I'm here to teach the whole counsel of the word. And I believe that as Christians, we should have a representation and culture that shows that we do know the Lord and he makes a difference in our lives, even to how we parent our children. And these are two extreme cases, one of child abuse, one of child neglect. And depending upon where one stands, these cases can make us say no to physical discipline altogether, where we do not touch our children at all. Or they can make us say yes to physical discipline, where we see the need to touch our kids forcefully and repeatedly. Now, I must confess that when I learned about the Ethan Couch story and how um, he was given probation, um, not even a slap on the wrist for the severity of what he did because of his irresponsible behavior, um, I was one of those people that said, I'd like to have five minutes alone with him. <laughs> I, I have to confess that to you. I'm, I'm sorry about that. As uh, the young ladies led us in worship, we're, we haven't arrived yet. Jesus is still sanctifying aspects of me um, that every now and then step out from under the Spirit of God. And when I saw that story, and I feel the same way about the man who uh, whipped on his kids. Like, I was thinking, you're a punk to hit your children like that. I mean, he abused his children. And he needs five minutes alone with somebody like myself or one of the other big brothers around him. 
you know, but that's not the way to solve it. And God doesn't need me for that. But I just ask the question, is there a place, is there a place for hands-on discipline and even hands-off discipline with our children? Is there a balance? And obviously there is. But I just want to come right down your street today. Even though I don't want to meddle, I'm going to drop some mail off in your mailbox, and it's just for you. And I'm here to say that some of you spank your children too much whereas others of you do not spank them enough. All right, I, I'm driving. Don't get mad at the mailman. Don't, don't kill the messenger. I'm just here to encourage us. We, we have to find a balance because everything doesn't always call for a behind whipping, and neither does everything always call for a timeout. So, let, 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 let's, and so let's go ahead and call this message spanking versus timeout. Let, let's, just, let's just do this now. I'm a Christian, and I live my life under the authority of God. And the only way to do that is to let his word have authority in my life, to be the dictate of my life, his word. And so, therefore, what does the Bible have to say about disciplining children, our children? I'll just tell you it says a lot. It has a lot to say about disciplining children. And so let's just look at one verse to start off, and that's Proverbs 13, 24. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. You read Proverbs to get these precepts so that you might gain prudence and knowledge and insight and understanding and the wisdom of God. Have to be careful with Proverbs because they are not necessarily promises, but they are precepts and principles to live by. And so as we look at the Hebraic tradition and we look at the layout of the book, it's basically a father trying to teach his son. He's having talks with his son about how to grow up and become a man of God, going all the way to chapter 31 where he gives that son away to a wife of noble character. And then that man is to start the same process with his son back in chapter 2, talking about the wisdom of God and gaining the commandments of God, on and on and on. And in Proverbs, there's... Wisdom about how to handle money, um, how to handle sexuality and purity, how to handle your tongue, your eyes, relationships, how to build your home, all kinds of things in the book of Proverbs. Great place um, in the early aspects of my Christian walk, um, I made it a habit to read a proverb every day that coincided with the date. So as God was laying his spiritual foundation in me, I was in that word. And I was reading Proverbs in addition to whether I was reading Psalms or if I was reading Matthew, I would make it a point to read a proverb that coincided with the date. So I recommend that to all of you, especially those of you who are just starting in your faith. You don't know where to read in the Bible. Start reading a proverb every day and you will grow, I promise you. And you may want to take one or two of those proverbs in that chapter. Uh, today is the 23rd. So if you read Proverbs 23, you may take one or two verses out of Proverbs 23. Oh, matter of fact, I believe later we're going to be in Proverbs 23. So hold on. Maybe those two verses you'll take with you. So just hold on. But right now, Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Wow. The Bible's pretty direct, is it not? Uh, and it challenges how we grew up. It challenges where we grew up. 
It challenges us. That's the nature of the two-edged sword. It cuts down, divides motives and everything in our heart. And so God speaks clearly here in this verse. And what I see jumping out is that discipline is a matter of love. That I'm going to discipline my children because I love them. And when I discipline them, I'm going to do it in love. Uh, Because this verse is saying that if I love my kids, I'll discipline them. But if I don't love my kids, it may be evidence that I hate them. Wow. Because God is defining one aspect of love as discipline. That's one aspect that if you love me, you will discipline me. If you don't discipline me, maybe you don't love me. Or maybe, according to a passage in Hebrews chapter 12, maybe it's because I'm not your child. You know, because I discipline my four kids, but I don't have the right to discipline your children because they're not mine. And so in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how when God disciplines his children, he does it out of love and he always does it in love. But if you call yourself a Christian and you're not experiencing the discipline of God, it may be that you're not his child. It may be that you're illegitimate, that you're saying that you're his child, but you're still technically, John 8, 44, a child of the devil. Ouch, ooh, where's the band-aid? And so God says, I discipline my kids because they're my kids and I love them. And he's saying in the natural realm with the children he entrusts to us, we ought to discipline them in love because we love them. If we don't discipline them, that says a lot about us, that maybe we hate them or maybe they're not even our children. Wow, God is very clear with this. Uh, And so when used in the Bible, the word discipline means to lead in the right path, with or without force. So, okay, so, so, so hang with me. When you see the word discipline in the Bible, some versions will use the word correction. Some versions will use the word instruction. Some portions of Scripture will say the word chasten. You'll see all these different kinds of English translations of two basic words in the Hebrew language for discipline. But when you break it down in the Hebrew language and even in the Greek language, discipline means to lead in the right path with or without force. So discipline, to instruct, to correct, to lead our children in the right path. Why? Because they don't know what the right path is. And so we have to teach them right from wrong. We have to teach them the right path, and it's assuming we know the way. So when the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, train up your child in the way in which he or she should go, it's assuming the parents know the way. So it's hard, you know, the blind can't lead the blind as it pertains to parenting. A lot of times as parents in the world today, they don't know the way, so their children don't know the way either, and a lot of the discipline is neglect and abuse because it's discipline and neglect that has no purpose. It's not necessarily leading in the right way or a path that pleases and honors God, yet alone blesses society. But for Christian folks, we should know the way, not only the way as a person, but also the way of God, the wisdom of God, what God requires, what God expects, not only of our children, but above all of us. So when we discipline them, we are attempting to lead them in the right path. And we do that with or without force. So discipline has to do with correction. It has to do with instruction. It has to do with righteousness, and there are many ways to do it. So number one, there is verbal discipline or verbal correction. My goal is to lead my child in the right path because folly is bound up in their hearts. 
Um, and so they were born in sin. They were shaping in iniquity, just like their dad. And so I had to be led. My kids have to be led. That is part of my responsibility when God entrusted them to me as his parent, as their parent. And so there's verbal correction. So this means sometimes the way that I have to discipline my children is to instruct them, to sit down with them and talk to them, not talk at them, but talk with them. And so this is where we know that there's no such thing as a perfect parent. There's no such thing as perfect parenting. We all need grace because as a parent, I don't always do the verbal correcting thing the right way. Because sometimes my tone, I may raise my voice, I may react, I may snap, I may say something that if you were in my house at the moment, you might say, hand in your ordination and your license to preach. <laughs> Because you just never know. And so we don't always, as parents, do it perfectly. So I'm not going to try to sit here and act like some perfectionist or some specialist that has written a book and I speak with a really nice, soft pitch all the time talking to you about parenting. No, 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 no. Sometimes it get a little nasty up in there. Now, I'm thankful that my kids have never heard me cuss them out. I'm thankful that my kids have never heard me cuss at them or curse at them or curse at their mother. That doesn't mean uh, don't do it under my breath. That don't mean that. <laughs> but they haven't heard that. Now, again, some of us grew up in environments where that was commonplace. Some of you, unfortunately, you are still practicing that, where your kids hear certain things come out of your mouth that do not honor God. As we sang today, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So we all need help from the Holy Spirit. Amen. So verbal correction. And kids don't always respond to a lecture. If you're going to lecture, it better be short today because information comes at them so fast. Uh, images change so quickly that their attention span. You, you got to know how to work with your child. And so you got to know how to sit down with them and verbally correct them. But then there's also consequential correction. So again, there are many ways to discipline and correct our children verbally. And then there's consequential. And this is when you take something away from them. This is when they see that their actions have reaped consequences. And you're trying to teach them that what they reap is what they sow. You're trying to teach them, unlike what Ethan Couch apparently did not learn, that there are consequences for your actions. And even when he was committed to a rehab facility, his parents had to pay for it. They had hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to pay for this young man's annual bill for his rehab uh, for alcohol and substance abuse. But not everyone has that, and not everyone can claim an affluenza defense. Because what do people who don't have resources do when their kids mess up? Their kids many times don't get off on affluenza. They go to jail. And a lot of times our kids are going to jail and paying for crimes that are very harsh, they're over the top, and so justice is not fair in these great old states of America. But the way I see it is that we should raise our kids in such a way that before the school teacher has to deal with them, we've dealt with them. That before the police officer has to deal with them, we've dealt with them. That before the pastor and the children's ministry leader has to deal with them, we've dealt with them. Why? Because the home is the first place to raise your children and not in the other institutions outside of the home. 
They come along to assist, especially if you've got a good principal, good teachers, good pastors, and all that kind of stuff, and you know a couple of officer friendlies out there, you can use them to your advantage. Remember when we used to call police officers officer friendly? Man, man, I don't know about that anymore today. But every now and then, you got to bring the police by your house to have a talk with your children. We've done that with our kids. Man, so you got to be, and that's the next point, creative in your correction. Uh, but before I get there and my wife comes up, come on, baby, let me give you this mic because I, I, I need you to help me this morning. Um, consequential. Remember back in the day, they would say, go to your room. That was our form of timeout back in the day. Now, when we went to our room back in the day, there was truly nothing in our room. <laughs> there may have been a fish tank with some dead fish in it. You know, you didn't have much in your room. But today, you tell a kid to go to their room, they've got so many gadgets, so many electronics. You've got to like, almost like jail, you've got to empty everything out of their pockets. Give me your cell phone. Give me your iPad. Give me your iPod. Give me your computer. Give me your Airbook. Give me your MacBook Pro. Give me this. Give me that. Give me your little handheld thing that you play with the Sony thing. You've got to take all, you've got to strip search them before you send them into the room. <laughs> and so when you start taking those electronics away from them, when you, when you shut them down, from the World Wide Web, oh man, Ooh, that, that, that's a good one many times. But here's the thing, the parents, if there's a two-parent home, you've got to be in agreement on the methods of discipline, or else the kids will play you one against the other. Can I get an amen up in here? All right, you got to watch that, because your kids, as cute as they are, they are still sneaky and sinful. They come out the womb like that, all right? They know how to play. They know how because of the sin nature that's in them. And so they will divide and conquer if they can, and they will try it. And they'll say, well, mom said or dad said, and if we aren't in agreement, we're going to be looking at each other cross-eyed. So we got to make sure that the discipline, and even if we don't have a talk with each other about what needs to happen with one of the kids, I always trust what she says, and she always trusts what I say, and we never let the kids divide us, at least not in front of them. We'll go back in the room and talk about it. So these are things that we are learning, you know, as, as parents, and uh, so consequences, man. And, and then there's creative correction. Um, now, you can't use the same method all the time. You can't use this method with this child because this child is different from that child. So as a parent, you have to work. You have to ask God, Lord, what's the best way to teach, to lead this particular child in the path? You may have one child that's real easy, that soon as you raise your voice a little bit and say, mm-hmm, they start crying. Okay, I'm... then you got another one that's just strong, you know, like nothing you do or say can work. So you got to get creative with how you discipline them. And as I was talking with my wife yesterday about this, I said, baby, tell me some of the creative ways that you have used to discipline our children, because she's more creative than I am in that department. So she started telling me a couple stories. I said, oh, you got to tell this to everybody. So, so come on here, baby. Come on. Parenting is a hard job. All the parents say amen. <laughs> just, I just want to say be encouraged, because it's a hard job. If you don't have children, the best thing you can do before you have them is spend time, spend some concentrated time. Most of us will just let you come on in. Just hang out with us. Just see it, because it really would be a shame to enter into the hardest job in the world and not have any at least reference to what it is. So 
Boy, uh, creative. Um, I remember with Karis, you know, our youngest, a lot of you know her story. She was born at two pounds, four ounces. Truly a miracle story. Um, To look at her at 10, you wouldn't know. But she was a fighter. She had to be a fighter to be alive. And so once she got to toddler stage, it, it dawned on us that she was a fighter, but now we had to start, um, you know, helping the fight to survive because it was tending towards some other kind of fighting in the home that was disruptive. And uh, she went through this, this thing where, um, you know, if we told her something she couldn't do and she wanted to just stomp, you know, it was just kind of a... And so, you know, the tendency, you want to kind of say, okay, you know, uh, belt, uh, hand, uh, you know, what needs to be applied to the thigh to help the stomp. Um, but, but, then, but then, you know, you think about creativity. And I was like, okay, you know, I know something that's going to work right here. So um, I, I had her stand in the corner one time when we got that, you know. And so I was like, okay, you like to stomp. So I want you to stand in the corner. And I put the timer on the microwave, I think, for about two minutes. And I said, I want you to stomp for two minutes. So it was kind of like, okay. And so she started stomping. And, you know, at first it was like this. And after about 30 seconds, it was uh, no, keep stomping because you like to stomp, right? Don't <laughs> see the timing. You got 20 more. <laughs> keep stomping because you like to stomp, right? And you know, and needless to say, the episodes of stomping, you know, came to a quick decrease after that because we realized we didn't like to stomp. Um, the other thing, and I laughed about this with her last night. So just so you all know, we don't live to disappoint our children. We love our girls up there. Um, Karis doesn't remember this, but um, I remember, you know, you got to eat healthy. That's part of our job as parents is to, you know, you need to have healthy food habits. So I guess she was about three, and um, the healthy food on the menu that night was raw carrots. And you are going to like raw carrots. And, um, you know, some kids are easy. They'll just grimace like you're making them eat poison and just get it down and act like they're gagging and you know you've been there you know how it works well you know my sweet little fighting child she was not gonna eat raw carrots so dinner ended and I could still see the orange in her mouth but she was not going to swallow the carrots and so I said well you gonna sit at the table because I come from the school where you gonna eat it like I'm winning this like I'm bigger than you I'm in charge you're the fourth kid now while this is going on though you know, I'm grimacing like oh Leave my baby alone. She, she don't like raw carrots. Neither does her daddy. Leave, leave my baby alone. But I'm winning, so I give him the look like, don't even. I see you softening up. No, turn your head, go to your office. No. So dinner ends. You're sitting at a table because I'm gonna win this, and you were gonna eat these raw carrots. And she sat at the table for another hour with the orange still in her mouth. I could see it. And she was not either raw carrots. So I'm going to win this, right? I've already said that. So dinner's over. Everybody's left. The kitchen is clean, and she's still sitting at the table an hour later with the raw carrots. So I'm ready to go chill. You're not going to disrupt my chill. Come sit here by me, because you're going to eat these raw carrots. And she sat by me. I go in to watch my little home and garden TV. 30 minutes goes by. I notice it's quiet. I look down next to me. The toddler is asleep with the raw carrots still in her mouth, unswallowed. So now I'm thinking, well, this will be a really funny news story that the pastor's child choked to death (laughs) in her sleep because her mother was trying to get her to eat raw carrots, right? So what do I do? I go and take my finger and scoop 
the raw carrots out of her mouth before I put her to bed. Obviously, I did not win that one. <laughs> carrots won. But the moral of the story, for those of you who have toddlers that are in the food battles, she's 10 now. And guess what's one of her favorite things to pack in her lunch almost every day for school? Raw carrots. <laughs> so, <laughs> the Amen. moral of the story is sometimes you have to be creative. Sometimes you just have to let it go. And then sometimes you laugh with them at 10 about a story about raw carrots that they don't even remember. And they go, really? And that's really funny. You mean I sat at the table for an hour and I fell asleep? That's really funny. Wasn't funny then, but <laughs> God is good. Amen. God graces you. Keep up the good work. It is worth it. You're doing a great job. And let's just encourage each other. Amen. 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 And what works for my child may not work for your child. And what works for your child may not work for my child. Because it's not just about the child. God is also trying to teach the parent. And he wants us to seek him for wisdom and everything, even on how to discipline the children, whether it's verbally, consequentially, or creatively. But Proverbs 23 is our final scripture. Proverbs 23, verse 13. As I mentioned, the Bible has a lot to say, especially Proverbs. But it says in verse 13, do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty, again, very direct, very straightforward. Well, from this passage, I see just a couple of things that jump out. Number one, our children need correction. They need it. As I said before, they are cute, but they are also sinful, selfish, and full of folly. So, yes, your baby, not, not another baby like your baby, but your baby is still born in iniquity and shaping and sin, just like my babies. And because of that, they need a savior, they need a redeemer. And until they meet him, they're going to go through the terrific twos, not the terrible twos, uh, not the testing threes, but the trying threes, whatever you call them. You, you've named all of those stages we went through. And so we're praying until God can shepherd their heart on the inside because they have a personal relationship with him. Lord, help us to help shape them from the outside, not to break their will, but Lord, as parents to help bend their will, help us to lead them well, but recognize there's going to be fight. They, they need correction. I remember once uh, Krista was real small. She was just starting to sit up and crawl a little bit. Well, maybe she was a little bit older than that. Maybe she was around two. And uh, I, I was having devotions uh, by my bed, and I was praying. I was on my knees, and I, I had her that day. And, and so I'm sitting with her. I sit her on the floor, let her do something. I'm praying. I'm talking to God. And while I'm talking to God, I feel something stick me in my thigh. So I turn around. And I look at her, and she's just playing and doing what she's doing. I'm like, I know she didn't just stick me. <laughs> so I'm thinking maybe the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction. Or, I don't know. So I start praying again, and I get stuck again. I turn around, I look at her, and, you know, she's just doing what she's doing. I'm like, so this time, I'm like, something going on. So I start praying. But then when she start coming, I turn around, and that girl had a safety pin in her hand <laughs> sticking me in the back of my leg. Like, man, you had to laugh at it. It's like, wow, for real? They need correction because there's folly in them. Dr. Tony Evans says it's far easier to shape a child than it is to repair an adult. It's far easier to shape a child, to mold a child, 
than it is to try to repair an adult. And a lot of what we do in church, but especially uh, with the correctional institutions that really are correcting many of our men and women, um, they're working with adults who didn't have the blessing of being shaped and molded properly as children. And so they've grown up without parameters, without structure, without an understanding of discipline and consequences. And so it's better to work with them while they're small. I once heard that if you start training an elephant uh, while it is little, even as it grows and gets large and it's a massive, multi-ton creature, it will still be in obedience. Because what they do with the little elephant is that they tie a chain to its leg and put a stake in the ground. And then that elephant is taught that that stake is its authority. And so while it's young, it can't move that stake. But as it grows and has the power to move the stake, it doesn't move the stake because while it was younger, it was molded in such a way to understand that its authority was that stake. And so even for our children, as they get big and strong, they need to understand the stake that we put in them, hopefully that God has put in them, that they need to be submissive to him. Even though they start to get ability and they start to get power and you're trying to train them up in the way they should go, we believe that even if they depart, they're going to come back because we trained them well. And uh, one of the things that gives me great peace, I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, is knowing that God is the ultimate parent of my children and not myself. Uh, but not only do kids need correction, but number two, it's tempting to withhold correction from them. Why? Because they're so cute and lovable, like a little puppy, you know, they're just so cute. You know how when the babies come out, man, don't nothing stink on them. You know, excuse me, this, this ain't in the notes, I'm going somewhere. You know, you smell a little breath, oh man, you sp smell that scalp, oh they smell so good. Even their poop don't really have that like hum on it just yet. And you're like, man, they just are so, ooh wee. But that change up quickly once they start getting teeth in their mouth and start eating, you know, other food. All that change. But, but you know, when, when they first come out, oh, they're just so sweet and you don't want to do anything to them. And, and, and so sometimes you don't want to discipline them because of that. And sometimes you don't want to discipline them because you get tired. You've been at work all day. You've been doing this. You've been doing that. Or you've been telling them repeatedly. And so you get throw up your hands like Marvin Gaye and say, I just can't do it. Uh, some parents are passive. And so they're afraid of trying to correct their children. Um, some of them are discouraged. And they're like, everything I've tried with this boy, with this girl, nothing is working, so I'm not trying anymore. Uh, so we're tempted with, to withhold correction. Sometimes we withhold correction because we want our children to like us. And we're busy trying to be their friend and not trying to be their parent. And so, you know, we don't spank our friend. Um, and so we look at our kids and equate them on the level of friendship as equals with us. Um, some of us don't spank because we consider it barbaric. And that's something, you know, that should not be done. It's inhumane. Or some of us withhold correction because we were abused when we were growing up. We didn't see it done properly. It wasn't done properly to us. So therefore, we have thrown everything out and we say we're not going to touch our children. A third thing I see from this passage is that using the rod is one method of correction. We don't start with the rod, but we do use the rod if we need to. And you have to deal with the age in which you begin spanking on the wrists and what age you stop. You're going to have to answer for your house the way I have to answer for my house. But as we've said, there's verbal correction, consequential correction, creative correction, and then there is physical correction. Uh, the word rod in the Hebrew is the word shabbat, 
and it was an actual stick. So this is not figurative here. It was an actual stick. Matter of fact, in Psalm 23, verse 4, where David says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the Lord, who's the shepherd, has a rod. And that rod was used to encourage the sheep to stay on the right path, to just tap them, to get them on the right path. And so in parenting, the rod was used to tap the child, to get the child on the right path. And so a modern-day equivalent, because not many of us are walking around with a Moses walking stick in order to deal with our children, but I have seen a few canes used by, well, let me take that back. I'm about to say grandparents. Grandparents switch up all of the rules. They act like, you know, they never spanked you when you were younger. As soon as they get a grandchild, all the stuff they use with you go out the window. Why is that? I, that's a phenomenon. I, I need the Lord to give me insight and revelation on that. Oh, man, I, I, we'll probably be the same way when we become grandparents in about 15 years or so, right? 20 years. I tell my girls they're staying with me. They're like, oh, Dad. But a modern-day equivalent is a switch. Oh, yeah. See, I'm talking to some of you folk that grew up in the country where your big mama or your mama told you, go out in the yard and bring a switch back up in here. And when you went out to get it, you know how it was. You couldn't bring one that was small, you know, because then they go out and pick it and bring back a tree trunk. So you had to, <laughs> you, had to you know, plan that thing just right, you know. You don't want it too big or too small. But that was part of the discipline because you're thinking about it as you're going out there to go get it. So a switch was used back in the day. Not many switches are used today, but then there's the good old leather strap or leather belt. Oh, my. My brother Harold is here. I don't know how many uh, swipes he got with my dad's belt, but I got a couple growing up. And here's another thing about parents. When you talk to them about discipline, they always forget the ways they disciplined you when you were growing up. You remember them well. They, they, we did what to you? We didn't do that to you. Yes, y'all did do that to us. And my dad had a belt with a buckle on it. Thank God I never got hit with the buckle, you know. But he would lay into me with the leather. And uh, the way our walls were back home in Baltimore, the walls were so thin. My mother would send me into the room, and she said, your father's coming in here to deal with you. And it's like, oh, man. And I could hear through the wall the top drawer opening <laughs> and him getting the belt out, and I could hear the buckle dangling. I'm like, oh, I'm done now. I'm done now. And uh, some of y'all have parents that would talk to you while they spanking you with the belt, you know, and, and it would be on a uh, syllable kind of situation. Didn't I tell you? That's how some of us grew up. Now, Darina's father was a stutterer. I don't need to say anymore. Some of us, that was a ruler. That was the ruler, you know. And if the ruler had the little holes in it, get that air in there, get you on that thigh, then there was a paddle. Some of us grew up with a paddle. Um, but I think the best thing that we learned over the years was the hand. The hand was the best on the bottom, was the best way for the Williamson house to spank. Because what happened with that is that the lap became a place of both affection and correction. Yeah, oh, you got this is the best part of the sermon for me. 
that when my children, especially when they're smaller, you set them in your lap and you're able to instruct them. You're able to verbally instruct them and encourage them. You're able to pray with them, pray over them, all kinds of things in the lap. So they recognize the lap is a place I can jump up in to hug my daddy. The lap is the place I can just hang out in to spend time with my mama as she does my hair. And sometimes they scream when they're doing that hair. But the lap, the lap, is, it's a place of fellowship. It's a place of intimacy. And so my kids will recognize that the lap, they can come hang out with dad. We can wrestle. We can play. They can sit on the lap. Sometimes I feed them on my lap. The lap, the lap, the lap. But then the same lap of affection and intimacy could become a lap of correction and discipline, where I would turn them over on my lap and then spank the bottom. And so my kids began to understand, and this is what I wanted them to see with God, that my father loves me and I love him, but I also need to respect him and take him seriously. Because that's how it should be with God, that the same lap with God where he hugs me and embraces me and tells me I'm his own and reminds me that I'm his child and I'm blessed. But it's also a lap that the father can turn me over and lovingly discipline me. So we need to have a perspective of God as well as our parents where we love them, but we also take them seriously, where we love them, but we also respect them. We don't play with them. We play with them, but we don't play with them. And you got to have that balance with your children growing up. Because again, if I don't teach my kids how to understand and respect proper authority, I don't want them getting into a situation where they can be abused by authority elsewhere. So I got to teach them in the home. So when I spank them, before I spank them, I'm going to tell them, this is why you're being spanked. Sometimes I would tell them, this is how many pats you're going to get. And, uh, you know, and they count them bad fellas too, you know. <laughs> One, okay, all right, I got two more to go. And then while you're spanking them, you're under control. You know, you're not angry, you're not reacting, you're under control. And then when you finish spanking them and they're crying, you wipe their tears, you tell them why you did that. And then also you begin to pray with them and talk with them about did they learn their lesson. So again, the lap then becomes again the place of instruction with or without force, a place of affection, correction, all of that stuff. Uh, so disciplining our children, this is what I've learned over the years. It's not just about them, but it's about the parent as well. Because when I discipline my children, God usually has something to say to me about my attitude and my behavior. So therefore, as much grace as I want from my father, I need to also dispense grace to my children. As I want my children to listen to their father, their mother, the father wants me to listen to him. And so it's not just about how my children are messing up. I done told them four times with this. So therefore, there are consequences. God is saying, how many times have I told you about something and you haven't responded? So as you spank your children, you have to have an open ear to God because you're growing up as well as his child. So we have to have that balance. Fourthly, I see from this passage, using the rod properly should never lead to serious injuries or fatalities. Because it says here, if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. So we're not expecting there to be the breaking of skin or bleeding or any of that kind of mess or using apparatuses and tools that would bring that kind of harm on the body. Never. That is neglect. That is abuse. That is shameful. So, you know, you may have felt like you were going to die when you were getting beaten, but no, you did not die. And then finally, you use the, using the rod may deliver our children from hell. So we, we, we got to remember that because that's what the writer says. You shall beat him with the rod 
and deliver his soul from hell. Do not be a willing participant to your child's downward demise because you didn't rise up to discipline them properly. For whatever reason, you've got to step up and you've got to be the one that works with God so that your child will not experience Sheol, the Hebrew word for hell, and that is death. We don't want our children dying early because we chose not to discipline them properly. Um, my parents used the rod on me, and I'm here to say it worked. And it kept me out of a lot of hellish uh, situations and circumstances. Sometimes I went out on my own, and I had to suffer outside and then come back and suffer inside of the home. Um, so my parents used the rod on me, my brother. I don't know if they ever touched my sisters, but, man, the rod was used on us. But also... God uses the rod on his way with children because he loves us. So the way the Bible says it, because he loves us, he's going to discipline us. He's not going to spare the rod because he loves us. And there have been times in my life where God has spanked me. Or there have been times where through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I know that God is verbally correcting me. I know that through consequences, maybe from my actions, I recognize that God is disciplining me through consequences. And man, but I remember there was a time where he had to physically get a hold of me. And wow, oh boy. Now, I look back on it now, and I'm thankful for what I went through. But when I was in it at the time, I didn't understand. Like a lot of our kids, they don't understand it. But that's why the Bible says you got to be trained by it. Later on, it'll bring forth peace and a harvest and all of that. But physically, man, when I broke my leg in college, I knew that it was God. Because I had one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And I was pleased to do my thing and show up and be a chameleon kind of a Christian. You know, I would adapt to whatever environment I was in. If I was hanging with the boys, there was no difference in me than the boys I was hanging with out in the street. But then when I go in church and I slip on a little church thing, and God was like, no, we're going to have to deal with that. So when I got to college... I broke my ankle playing football. He had to take that idol out of my life so that all I had was him, which is what I should have had in the first place. But I made football my God. He took it away. And the way he did it was the break was so severe I couldn't play again. And all I had was God. And as I went through that time of discipline, it brought the two of us closer. Amen. And I look back at it like David, Psalm 51.8, the bones that you have broken, they now rejoice. I'm thankful for that break. And there are people here who've learned their lesson when they got locked up. There are people here who, when they hit the bottom, they recognized that God was the rock at the bottom, and they were thankful for what they had to go through. And, and, and the way you know that you've really grown from it is that you can talk about it. But if you can't talk about it yet, that means you probably haven't been delivered from it. And so the discipline of God, man, and that's why, again, I thank God that ultimately he's the one that disciplines my children. So when I dedicate them to the Lord in here, it's not just some little ceremony. It's truly saying, God, you're the one watching over them when I can't. God, you're the one who's with them when I can't be there. God, you're the one. I'm working from the outside in. You're working from the inside out. You are their father. You are their God. So, Lord, I pray. So God many times says to me and Darina, spend more time praying for them than lecturing them. Mm -mm -mm. In other words, shut up. Because they don't want to hear no more from you. You tired of hearing yourself talk to them saying the same thing too. So shut up and start praying for them. Mm, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be so forceful. That's how me and God get it in sometimes. So in review, man, when you love your children, you will discipline them in love. Secondly, discipline means to lead in the right path with or without force. Thirdly, there are many different methods of discipline and correction. Fourthly, 
properly disciplining your children may save their lives in the future. But I end with a question. Why is it that most of us who got spanked as kids can now laugh about those episodes as adults? Why can we laugh about it now? We weren't laughing then, but we can laugh about it now. Why? Hebrews 12, 11. Now, no chastening. Uh, come on back. Where's the band? Y'all come on back. Give us that final song and let's get out of here. Where are they? Come on back. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. I didn't enjoy spanking my children any more than they enjoyed receiving it. It was tough. But when you love people, you got to do the tough things. It was painful for them, painful for me. They probably would disagree. Say, Dad, I beg to differ. It was painful for you. But yes, it was. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So when you've been trained by it, when you've learned your lesson, you can look back and laugh about it. You know, my kids, I was talking with Chase yesterday, and she was laughing about times when I had to spank her. Dad, you remember that time? And I'm like, no, I don't remember that time. I got the parental amnesia. I don't remember that time, but they remember. And she's laughing about it. And I was like, Lord, thank you that I forgot. Thank you that she got trained by it. Thank you that there's been fruit. And we can sit back and laugh at it. So do you see fruit in your children's lives? from your disciplining of them? Are they being trained by it? And if you discipline them correctly, I have a feeling that you won't have to discipline them as often. So somebody, don't, don't you give up, as Darina said. You may have started late in your disciplining of them and training of them, but it's better to start late than to never start. So don't you give up. You pray and ask God to touch their hearts more than you touch their bottom or you lecture them or take something from them. But above all, children of all ages, do we see the fruit in our own lives from the Lord's loving discipline? Have we been trained by it? Are we learning our lesson? Are we growing? And can we look back at some painful places that God had to take us to and say, Lord, thank you for that time. Matter of fact, it was kind of funny how you got a hold of me. Oh, yeah, he's a father like that. Let's stand for prayer. Father God, thank you. Help us this week, especially those of us who have a lot of questions, those of us who may be well-read. Help us to really dig into your word this week. And just see what you have to say about discipline, that we would be people of balance. For those of us who need to step up certain aspects of discipline, may we be obedient to do that. As my wife said, it is work for us. Give us strength, especially our single parents who have so much that they have to deal with. Give them a special unction of strength. Lord, I pray that these would be great discipleship teaching moments when we have to teach our children, we have to discipline them. Um, and may we also never forget that you're also teaching us and everything you do with us is in love. And so may we also give our children the same. Bless our children's ministry, Lord, as they're concluding right now. Thank you for every volunteer, every leader, that is back there helping us raise our children, even up to the senior high students. Thank you for the village called the local church. We all need each other. Thank you that loving people can love my children well, and I can love their children. They can instruct my kids, and I can instruct their kids. So, Lord, may we all um, recognize we're in this thing together. Bless our children to grow up and be the kind of people that you want them to be. 
men and women who contribute to society, men and women who have the anointing of Daniel on their lives, who stand against the culture rather than going with the culture. Touch, Lord, do it in this place. And anyone that's struggling with a strong-willed child, very wayward right now, or even last week, a lady telling me about a, a son of hers, an older son that's struggling, who's outside of her corrective and loving care. Lord, we just give you our children again and say, Lord, work in them. Do it, Father. Help us help them. And we promise to give you praise for any good that happens in their lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. class begins. Excited about that. So after we receive this song, we'll be free to go. If you need to go now, God bless you. As we heard today, um, there are many forms of love that God shows through us, but thank God that he does love us. Um, <clears throat> and I thank God that he will always love us. And the part about this song that I love the most fact that it says that his love will move us in ways we didn't even know. It's like a hurricane when we're a tree. So as we go back into this worship song, I want you to think about that and just, just thank him. Just thank him for his love. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am And all of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Oh, how he loves us. the grace in his eyes if his grace 
loving us, for watching over us, teaching us, guiding us, convicting us, giving us grace, showing us mercy. Our prayer today, Father God, is that as we leave here today, that you continue to teach us how to teach our young ones. You continue to uh, open our ears as you speak to us and discipline us yourself. We are so in love with you. Thank you for being so overwhelmingly in love with us. So God, right now, watch over everyone in this building, everybody who's connected to somebody in this building, God, and just uh, lead us as we go through this week that we may touch others and love on others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Be blessed. Have a great week.